0: the High Praises Church podcast. We hope you are blessed by today's sermon. Now here's lead pastor Chris Starr. I'm going to preach. They're going to come back and sing some more. I want to read from Acts chapter 2 verses 1 through 4. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. And it's just good to see you here. It's, we've watched every Sunday as more people have been coming back to church. And that, that shows right there that people are getting their confidence back. And it's just good to see you here. First service was a really good attendance, so good to see you. Here's what it says in Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. All right, you can be seated. Thank you for reading the Word and honoring the Word. Today, if you didn't know it, is Pentecost Sunday. Pentecost Sunday. In the church world, in Christendom, There are uh, at least three big holidays, two of them you're very familiar with, Christmas and Easter, but the one that we don't necessarily talk about as much is Pentecost Sunday. Now, depending on who you are and your background and where you come from, when you say the word Pentecost, you can get a different image in your mind. Now, if you're Jewish, Pentecost means something to you. It means the Feast of Weeks or the Feast of Harvest. As a matter of fact, uh, Jewish people... uh, I'm aware of some Jewish people celebrated, and I may get this wrong, Shavuot, I think I'm saying that right, Shavuot, Shavuot, which is Pentecost, and so they've been celebrating that because it is the Feast of Pentecost. Back in Jesus' day, the Feast of Pentecost, uh, it, was a, it was a feast that was ordained by God, it was in the Old Testament, and it was celebrating the first buds of the harvest, okay, which if they had an agrarian culture, so that was a big deal. Now... In the general church, Pentecost Sunday is a celebration of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost on the early church, what we just read on the screen. Now, for those of us who are spirit-filled, that's, that's this church, look at somebody and say, you're in a spirit-filled church. Okay, just in case somebody didn't realize it today, uh, you need to know you're in a spirit-filled church. So, in a spirit-filled church... We, like the rest of Christendom, are celebrating the outpouring of the Holy Spirit 2,000 years ago, but also the day of Pentecost uh, uh, or Pentecost Sunday is significant to us because we believe that what happened 2,000 years ago has been happening for 2,000 years and is still available today that people can and should be not only saved but filled with the spirit of the living God and clothed with his power. So what happened on the day of Pentecost in that text that I read? well because it was the feast, there are three major feasts that Jesus or that God commanded that the Jews had to go back to Jerusalem to celebrate and so I think it was Passover and tabernacles and, and then this one the, the the Feast of Pentecost. so thousands of Jewish believers from all over the world had converged upon Jerusalem to celebrate this feast well while they celebrated Acts chapter one tells us that the early church praised and prayed. They would go to the temple and they would have prayers, praise services and then they went back to an upper room and they would pray and they were praying for something specific. Jesus had told them, pray to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so they prayed and they prayed. And it was either a somewhere between 7 to 10 days they prayed. And when the day of Pentecost came, while they were praying, God heard and answered their prayer and filled them with the Holy Spirit. And it went like this. They're in a room. They're praying. If you've ever been in a, in a good prayer meeting where everybody's praying, it's really powerful. And as they're praying and seeking God, now they don't know what to expect. Nobody had ever been filled with the Holy Ghost like what they're about to experience, they don't know what, they're just praying for something and they don't know what's going to happen. Let me tell you, if you've never been filled with the Holy Spirit, that's what's going to happen to you. You say, I've never had this happen, but you got to have faith and you got to let God be God and do his thing. And that's what they said, we're going to trust God and let God do his thing. Well, all of a sudden, there's a sound of gale force winds that filled the room, but yet there's no wind but there's this roar like there's a tornado or a hurricane. And then there appeared in the room what looked like a ball of fire, and the fire split upon the top of the head of every person who was praying. Let me just stop right here because there's a good point, y'all. Just as there was a Pentecostal spirit-filled experience for each one of them, Everybody that's in this room, there's a flame just for you if you want it. And so this flame, of, and it wasn't fire. It was like fire, and, and it was the glory of God, the Shekinah glory of God. It sat upon the heads of about 120 people, and the Bible says they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of the living God, the third person, the Godhead, came inside of them, took possession of them, clothed them with divine power. And when that happened, the Bible says, and they all began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them the utters. They started speaking I think first in a heavenly language and then when Peter and the other streets and all those thousands of people were there, that turned into them speaking known languages that weren't known to them but was known to the congregation. What was Jesus doing? Well, he was equipping them with supernatural power to continue his ministry on this earth. Jesus said, I'm not going to be here forever. I'm going to die, resurrect from the dead, and go back to heaven. But I, I want you to do what I've been doing. And that's why he said, The works that I do, you're going to do, and greater works than these you're going to do because I go to my Father. And he said, When I go back to heaven and go back to my Father, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit upon you and he's going to empower you. And that's why if you read Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus said, But you shall receive power. In Luke chapter 24, verse 49, Jesus told the disciples, he said, behold, I send the promise of my Father, but tarry or wait in Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. And I like to say that that's a word that I just don't use ever. I never walk around talking about how endued I am. Okay, so what does it mean? It means to be clothed with power. So if I put a jacket on or a shirt on, I'm getting dressed. I'm being clothed. Listen, God fills us with the Holy Spirit and he gives us the dressing that we need, the clothing that we need, the equipping that we need, the power that we need, the authority that we need so that we can do what he did when he was on this earth. See, you're supposed to be telling people about Jesus, and you are supposed to be doing the works of Jesus. You're supposed to be laying hands on the sick and they recover. If necessary, you're supposed to be casting out demons. If necessary, you're supposed to be operating in the gift of wisdom or in the gift of knowledge or a word of knowledge and telling people things that you don't know except by the revelation of the Holy Ghost, but it's to help them and strengthen them and help them to be stronger. Do you understand? We're supposed to do this, not just the pastor or the evangelist. The church is supposed to do this. Now, why? Now, if you're like me and you grew up in church, the gospel makes perfect sense. The gospel is familiar. But if you are unchurched, and in the Bible Belt, we're down here in the Bible Belt, you know, church on every corner, and everybody grows up going to church. We we know the stories. We know the gospel. But listen to me. Don't just think America. Think around the world. If you tell the gospel to somebody, it sounds crazy. It's crazy. Okay, so I'm going to do this. So you're telling me that there's a God, a divine being that I can't see? That's right. And he has a son? That's right. His name's Jesus. Okay, I got that much. And he lives in a place called heaven. Where's that at? Well, it's where you can't see it. Okay, all right. And uh, you said he came here, but he came as a man. Right. And he lived a sinless life. Never did anything wrong. That's interesting. Yep, that's exactly right. Okay. And then he died. He was executed as a criminal. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. Died on a cross. Okay. And he's dead. So you killed a god. That's what happened. They killed a god. All right. But, but they didn't kill him. All right. Well, we won't get bogged down in that. And they put him in a tomb. And then three days later, you're saying that he came back to life and came out of the tomb and showed himself alive a while and then went back to heaven, back to God, his father, and that he's alive and that what he did has the power to make me right with God. And if I was just in what he did, then I can, I can get my sins washed away and be right with God. Now, see, when I say it like that, it kind of makes it, you, you kind of feel the, huh? See, we've heard it and we believe it. But if you don't know the gospel, that sounds a little crazy. So, how do I share the gospel with somebody and it not just sound like a myth, but it actually is the good news that it really is? I need the power of God to activate faith and to help that person to understand and see it that it's more than just a fable, but it is the truth. And so, I need the work of the Holy Spirit. So, for me to be a witness of Jesus. I need the Holy Spirit to equip me and empower me so that as I'm telling it, God is on that person, working on that person, pulling back the curtain, opening their mind, working in their heart, helping them to see, dealing with them. I can't make, look, as good as a speaker as I am, I don't have the power to convince somebody. You may say, man, I'm a good salesperson. You ought to see me work, Pastor. I can sell ice to an Eskimo. And I bet I could I could get anybody to accept Jesus. No, you can't because you can't convince somebody of all of that and to get saved. It takes the power of the Holy Spirit. And yes, the gospel is the power of God into the salvation, but it is the work of the Holy Spirit to draw people to Jesus. But when I'm clothed with the power of the Holy Ghost and the Holy Spirit is speaking through me and working through me, then my witness becomes effective. And then sometimes, sometimes you just need a good old-fashioned spiritual miracle work of God to bust that thing wide open. Sometimes you just need to lay hands on somebody, they get healed. Sometimes you need a miracle to take place. Sometimes you need to operate in one of the gifts of the spirit. Sometimes you need to cast out a demon. And when that happens, they'll say, how did you do that? And you say, I didn't do it. Don't look at me. It was that Jesus that I've been trying to tell you about. It was Jesus in the name of Jesus that gave me the ability to do what I did. And that gets their attention. And now Jesus becomes alive to them. Now he's not just a mythical figure, but Jesus is alive and actually healed that person or you performed that miracle. And then the people go, oh, man, tell me more about this guy because if he's, he must be real. He must be real. If he did that, I want to know more. We need the power of the Holy Ghost if we're going to be effective in reaching the world for Jesus Christ and reaching our friends, reaching our family members, reaching our coworkers. So that's what Jesus did. He empowered them, gave them what they needed. Y'all, they turned the world upside down. They went everywhere. They were bold. When you get baptized with the Holy Spirit, it will make you bold. If you're timid, just get filled with the Holy Ghost. It will make you bold. You will, you will get brave. You will say things where otherwise you would be intimidated and scared to death. They were bold, and they gave their lives. They literally were martyred and died because they knew what what they were telling was the truth. And they shared it with everybody. They shared it with kings, and they shared it with the poorest people. And that's what the Holy Spirit will do. We need the power of the Holy Ghost. So what happened? God filled them on Acts chapter 2. Then if you keep reading Acts, he filled another group in Acts chapter 8. If you keep reading on, he filled another group in Acts chapter 10. If you keep reading on, he filled another group of people in Acts chapter 19. But it didn't stop there. 2,000 years of church history has shown us that he continued to pour out the Holy Spirit. And I, I get the privilege to stand here today and tell you he's still pouring out the Holy Spirit in the 21st century. And what happened then still happens today if we'll just pray and ask God and believe. I know there are those who argue that the baptism with the Holy Spirit is not a real experience for the church today. And I'll give you three examples. I hear this. What happened on the day of Pentecost was a one-time event. Well, that's not true. I can show you in Acts where it happened several other different times. I can take you to early church fathers in the first, second, and third centuries who talked about, fourth centuries, who talked about that there were people who were being filled with the Spirit and operating in the gifts of the Spirit. I can, I can show you through church history where people have been filled with the Holy Ghost. I can show you in America where at the turn of the 19th century, the late 1800s, early 1900s, where God poured out his spirit in what was called the Azusa Street Revival in Los Angeles, California, where he poured out the Holy Spirit in a Bible college in Topeka, Kansas, and where he poured out the Holy Spirit to people in the mountains and the hills of Georgia, North Carolina, and Tennessee, and and Pentecost was birthed in this nation, and there was a Pentecostal movement that, that revolutionized this country and the church in America. God's still been pulling out the Holy Spirit. There are some people that say the charismata or the gifts of the Spirit ended at the close of the first century with the death of the last apostle. The last apostle to die was John. You know, John the Beloved, John the Revelator, John who leaned his head on Jesus' chest, that John. John who wrote the Gospel of John. When John died, he was the last one. They said when John died, boom, that was the end of it. They're called cessationists. Well, here's the problem with that theory. It's, you can't find it anywhere in the Bible. There's no proof of that. That's a man-made argument from people who have problems with the baptism of the Holy Spirit and don't want, don't want to ex- accept the whole Bible. But there is no evidence of that whatsoever. As a matter of fact, the evidence is the opposite. It evidence is, is the opposite. It didn't stop. It's been going on for for two thousand years. Then there are people who say, you know what? It's called Pentecostal today is just a counterfeit work of the devil. Now, when you're in, when you're 24, you're unless you're like just really brazen, you think of stuff, but you don't say it, or 34, when you get 54, you don't care anymore. Everybody 50 and over tell me, right? You just don't care. Now, you don't, you know, don't be stupid, but you, you you know, you got to use wisdom and self-control. But there's sometimes some stuff needs to be said. And it seems like a lot of times I I serve on committees and everybody else in the room is thinking it and I'm the only guy that'll have the, the, the nerve to say it. And I tell them that later at lunch, i said, you bunch of cowards, y'all were thinking it, wouldn't say it, made me say it. But if I ran into somebody who said, oh, oh you bunch of Pentecostals, all that is, that's just a work of the devil. I'd look at them and say, no, you better watch out, buddy, because you sound a lot like the Pharisees. Who, who said the work of Jesus done by the Holy Ghost was the work of the devil and called him Beelzebub and said what he did was a Beelzebub. And he said that was the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. You sound a lot like you're about to commit the blasphemy of the Holy Ghost. Do you want to spend eternity in hell, Mr. Self-righteous? You might need to back up, Jack. Now You don't do that when you're 34, but 54, you'll call somebody Jack. Especially if they're going to come close to committing the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And by the way, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is when you attribute the work of the Spirit to the devil. So chances are 100% nobody in here has done that. So don't get worried about committing the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. So there are people that believe believe that it's not real. And then you have Pentecostal people who believe that it's real but it's not relevant. And so I hear this from people. They'll say, well, you know, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I believe in it. And I, and I have I've I been baptized with the Holy Spirit, Pastor Chris, and But look, in our church, and a lot of times these are pastors and leaders, um, we're not gonna talk about that. We're not gonna preach it. We're not gonna pray about it. We're not gonna have people praying for it. And I say, why not? Well, it'll scare off the visitors. It'll scare off the visitors. So you're telling me that I just read Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. And if you read the rest of Acts chapter 2, that God filled the early church with the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and they're speaking in tongues, and the, and the 12 apostles go out in the streets speaking in tongues, being full-blown Pentecostals. They, they were so under the power of God, they thought they were drunk. Okay? Did they all run in, in a thousand different directions and say, Run, it's a cult! Don't go back to that church, they're crazy. No, God used the power of the spirit infilling to get their attention. And instead of running, they all said, What is this? What's going on? There's a work of God here. We don't understand it. This is new to us, but. God is at work. What's going on here? And Peter said, I'll tell you what's going on. And he preached and 3,000 souls got saved. Let me tell you something. We need to learn something from that. that Pentecost is not going to scare off the visitors. It's going to attract the visitors because where there's smoke, there's fire. And you better have the fire and the power of the Holy Ghost in your church if you want people to come see Jesus as their Savior. I better get off of that. I can preach whole sermons here. Then I hear this one. Look at the number of mega churches that are non-Pentecostal. Look at all the megachurches. You don't have to be spirit filled. You know, all you spirit filled. I've heard this. Few spirit filled people have so much power. Why don't Why don't you all churches megachurches? If you're supposed to be, let me just say this: Just because you have a big church, that doesn't necessarily tell you anything. Okay, anybody can attract a large crowd. Anything can attract a large. It's one thing to attract a large crowd. It's another thing to build the church. You with me? Now, I'm not saying there are megachurches that are spirit-filled and they're growing. There are megachurches that God's working and moving. So I'm not putting down megachurches. If God sent us three or 4,000 people, I'd take them all, baby. So this isn't about size and megachurches. But what I am talking about is that argument doesn't work because it is not about numbers. Numbers doesn't equal success. People getting saved and lives being changed. Look, Jesus had the largest crowd in the world. Jesus had the first megachurch in the first century. Jesus had large crowds. But you know what they thought he was? They thought he was Long John Silver's. They wanted fish and chips. And then when they were following him for the wrong reasons because they wanted fish and chips, he would start preaching really strong, sound doctrine, and they couldn't handle it, and they would leave him, and the crowds would disperse. You with me? So the, the size is not it, but it is the preaching and the power and the work of the Holy Spirit and what it does in people's lives. That's what matters most to God. Then I've heard this, I believe in Pentecost, but I choose not to preach it or publicly practice it. Well, I thought the just shall live by faith. Don't tell me you believe something that you won't back it up with your life. That's good preaching, Pastor, my Lord. You're just really shucking the corn today. I guess I I know that Pentecost is real, and I know that Pentecost is relevant because Jesus validated its reality and its relevance, and this is right here in Acts chapter 1. We read Acts chapter 2, but if you go back to Acts chapter 1, I'm just going to preach this real quick. If you go to Acts chapter 1 verse 4, Jesus said it is a promise of the Father. It is a promise of the Father. Well, you say, where's that promise at? Joel 2, 28, 29. In the last days, says the Lord, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall have visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my maidservants and men's servants, I will pour out my spirit, and they will prophesy. Sounds like a Pentecostal church, doesn't it? That, that, that's the promise. Well, then God fulfilled the promise in the, on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, then Acts chapter 8, Acts chapter 10, Acts chapter 19. And, y'all, he's still been pouring out the promise. Now, let me ask you a question. How many of you here love the promises of God? Y'all love the promises of God? Huh? Whosoever calls on upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How many of y'all like that promise? I like that. Jesus said, "I will never leave you, and I will never forsake you. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world." How many of y'all like those promises? How many like the promises? If there's any sick among you, let them call upon the elders of the church, and they will anoint you with oil and pray the prayer of faith. The Lord will heal the sick and raise him up. How many of y'all like that promise? I love the promises of God. I could just keep spitting them out. Here's what we know. We need to claim the promises. We need to believe the promises. We need to affirm the promises. We need to pray for the promises. Well, I came here this morning to tell you the baptism with the Holy Spirit is a 21st century promise from the Father, and it is available for every person who has been born again and washed in the blood of Jesus, and you need to affirm it. You need to embrace it. You need to claim it. You need to pray for it. You need to believe in it. You need to expect it. You need to wait for it to happen because God wants to fulfill that promise in your life. Come on, somebody, praise him in this house. Hallelujah. Thank God for the promise. And then you go to Acts chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. Jesus said, He and John the Baptist, he and John the Baptist preached on the baptism with the Holy Spirit. John was preaching and 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 they said, Are you the Messiah? And he said, Nope, he's coming after me. Jesus is coming. Hallelujah! John was preaching Jesus is coming now. The church today, we need to be preaching Jesus is coming, because He came the first time. He's coming again, y'all. I think these signs were the times we're living in Jesus is coming, and He said, "There's one coming after me, Jesus, who shall baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire." I like that because I like fire. We need the fire. He shall baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. By the way, I've joked for years that the first Pentecostal preacher was was a Baptist. John the Baptist, get it? And then Jesus preached on Pentecost. I could preach whole sermons on this. You go to John chapter 7, he preached on Pentecost. You go to Luke chapter 12, he preached on Pentecost. But listen to me. If Jesus and John the Baptist would come back down from heaven right now and stand on this stage after we all would freak out and fall down and, and be crazy, when we all got settled down, I would hand the mic to How many know you got to give the mic to Jesus? Give the mic to Jesus. And if Jesus handed the mic to John, John would say, I preached on it. I told you it was going to happen. And he came and it happened and it can still happen. It wasn't just for then, it's for now. And then he'd hand the mic to Jesus and Jesus said, I told you that I was going to send the Holy Spirit, didn't I? I told you, and and I did it, and I just didn't do it once. I did it over and over and over, and I did it for all kinds of people, for men and for women and boys and girls and for Jews and Gentiles and rich and poor and educated and uneducated. I poured out the Spirit for everybody. It's what I want, and if it's what I wanted then, it's what I want for you. You ask me, just ask me, and I'll fill you with my Holy Spirit. I can hear Jesus right now. Can you hear him? Come on, y'all. Can you hear him? Can you hear John the Baptist? Can you hear them speaking to you this morning? I'm going to finish this message just telling stories. i got to go fast. I remember when I got saved. I I, I can remember it. I can close my mind. I can remember it. Man's Choice Church of God in Pennsylvania. My dad was pastor. My dad had a kid's crusade. I can tell you who the usher was. Fred Chrissy was standing on this side. I can tell you who the usher was because they'd always stand at the front and take up the offering. I remember them speaking. I remember crying. I got under conviction at five. All the children listened to me. Five years old. Five. We got any five year olds in here? Anybody five? Anybody close to five? There's a five year old. Got one. I was your age, son. Started crying. My mom was discerning enough to know that something was happening. She said, son, what's going on? I said, I don't know. She said, do you want to go to the altar and pray? I said, yes. My mother took me to the altar. My mother prayed me through, and I got saved. Now, did I understand everything? I mean, how much sin can a five-year-old commit? But you're born in sin. So I got saved. Now, did I have to grow in that? I did, and I served the Lord. I never backslid. I never ran into, I became a T-danger, and I, I suffered intense persecution when I lived in Detroit, Michigan for four years. You have no idea the persecution that I went through. I don't, time won't even permit me to tell you the stuff that I went through. I could have, should have backslid, probably could have gotten in bad trouble and got arrested and been in jail if I would have given in to the people that, were, that just lived on my street. But the Holy Spirit helped me, okay? And I'm going to get that in a minute. So I remember when I got saved. I could not remember when I got filled with the Holy Spirit. I remember when I was at 9 and 10 that I was praying fervently, or 9, 8 and 9, that I was praying fervently for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And in my mind, I thought it was all the way up to when I was 10. And so uh, we have a magazine for our denomination called The Evangel. And Lance Kochmeyer emailed me, and he's my editor when I had my book. And, and so he's my editor and personal friend. And he said, look, I want you to write an article. Tell me your testimony we got this section. Give me your testimony when you were filled with the Holy Spirit. I said, okay. And I said, I don't know. I had to call my mom. I called my 70-something-year-old I said, mom. I said, Mom, I remember when I got saved. I said, I don't remember when I got filled with the Holy Ghost. I said, do you remember? She said, oh, yeah, I remember. How many mamas know you all remember those things? She said, I remember. She said, your dad had a kid's crusade, a children's crusade. She called in Curtis and Alice Akers and brought them in. They would come do crusades for us. And she said, you were nine years old. It was 1975. And she said, I don't remember whether or not they, she said, I don't even think they preached on the baptism of the Holy Ghost. But she And she knew this. I told her, I said, well, i had been praying. She said, you've been praying. You've been seeking for the baptism. Let me tell you something. Nine-year-old children can pray for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Come on, mamas and daddies, you need to listen to me. Mamas and dads, and so she said, you you were praying. And that night, she said, you went to the altar. And while you were down there, she said, God baptized you with the Holy Ghost. And at nine years old, she said, you were speaking in tongues. And she said, "You weren't the only one." She said that night there were several children that were in the altar praying, and God baptized them with the Holy Ghost. Now, if you're there sitting right now, saying, "Ah, come on, Pastor," now you you know you're okay, but now you've gone off into a little you got off in a, on the off the edge right now. Just hang on with me, okay? I mean, if you want to if you want to doubt my personal experience, that's fine. You go ahead and do that, but let me just tell you theologically, you on you're not on solid ground. I am because I can take you over to the book of the Gospel of Luke. Where Jesus baptized John the Baptist with the Holy Spirit in his mama's womb. So if he can baptize a pre-born in his mama's, my God, I feel the Holy Ghost right now. If he can baptize a pre-born in his mama's womb, he can baptize a five-year-old, a nine-year-old, a ten-year-old. And I know we've got kids in here trying to sit through this service, and they seem to be a little more attentive this morning than they were the other time I preached. But I might have their attention right now. I want every child to listen to me. If you're saved, get If you're saved or right with the Lord, you've asked Jesus to come in your heart, I want you to start praying that God will fill you with the Holy Spirit. Because if he could fill me at nine, I'd like to see some eight and seven and nine-year-olds and ten-year-olds. Wouldn't you parents like to see your children filled with the Holy Ghost speaking in a heavenly language? I've seen them in children's church walking around laying hands on each other like an evangelist and children falling out under the power of God. We've tried to put, I'm preaching now, we try to put God in some little box and we want him to work our way when we need to get out of the way and say, God, have your way in my family. Have your way in my spouse. Have your way in my church. Have your way in our youth group. Have your way in my life. My God, I feel the anointing. I felt this in the first service. I'm about, to, I'm about to run right now in this church. I asked Leah yesterday. I said, do you remember when she was, you were baptized with the Holy Ghost? She said, I do. She said it was in Pulaski, Virginia. Her dad Pastor Pulaski, Virginia. She said I was in the middle school. She said, I don't know how old I was, but I just remember I was in middle school. For all the teenagers here, middle schoolers, high schoolers, listen to me. Your pastor's wife, lead pastor's wife, middle school. She said she thinks it may have been a Perry Stone revival at her dad's church. She said, I can't remember all that. But she said, I was like you. She said, in middle school, a middle schooler, 10, 11, 12, 13 years of age. She said, I had been praying for the baptism with the Holy Spirit. Did you teenagers hear that? That ought to be something you can and pray for and should pray for. God, fill me with the Holy Ghost. She would Every time she went to the altar, God, fill me with the Holy Ghost. And she said that night she was praying, and the power of God was moving, and she said the Spirit of God came on her, and God filled her with the Holy Ghost. She said, I spoke in tongues. God, fill me. And she said, I kind of lost sense of where I was and what was going on. She said, when I finally came to. She said, I was laying up under the front pew of the church. You say, all right, you're telling these stories, Pastor. What's the point? The point is, if you'd have known me as a child, I was a quiet child, I was a backwards child. Now, if you got me around people that I knew, church people, things like that, I was very active. And, and parents, I was that child that was a busybody and mischievous. Not in a bad way, I just got into stuff. Too curious. My mom looked at me one day after I was grown and said, You know, you made us think long and hard about having a second child. He said, Just lucky your sister's here. I never heard that one before. But otherwise, I was quiet. You see this pastor up here with a microphone? I've shared this before. I was I was quiet. I was something of an introvert. Went to school, didn't do much, was a good student, that was it. Wasn't Mr. Popular. I was just kind of to myself, just quiet. You look at that and you say, how in the world could you be this kind of guy? I'll tell you how. When God baptized me with the Holy Ghost... He began to do a work in me. It didn't change my personality per se, but what he did is he began to give me a boldness. He began to transform me to be the image of Jesus. And when it came to spiritual things, I might be timid and quiet about everything else, but what I found out is I had a boldness when I would begin to talk about the Lord and a boldness to stand for Jesus. That's why I stood against incredible persecution in my middle school years and my freshman year of high school because I had the power of the Holy Ghost. I had one other girl in my high school, Troy high school in Troy, Michigan, only one other person that I knew in that massive high school that was a born-again Christian. One. One. Now, you can backslide in that kind of environment unless you get the baptism of the Holy Ghost and the power of the Holy Ghost will help you stand strong when everybody else is living for the devil. That's good preaching right there, Pastor. Come on. Help myself right now. I started singing when I was 16 years of age, 15, 16 years of age with two other guys. All we cared about was singing for Jesus. We were full of the Holy Ghost. 16 years old, we'd get up and sing. Just David playing the piano, me and Robert singing. And I started noticing the, the minister of music would always schedule us last at Tremont Avenue. He let all the other singers get out of the way. And I'm thinking, why is he letting the three teenage boys sing last? You know, got all these adults over here. Well, we finally figured it out because about 85% of the time we sang, the Holy Ghost would fall. People would get up and they'd start running to the altars and, and the pastor never preached that night. It wasn't because of us. It was because of this thing called the anointing. I'm feeling it right now. It will make you throw your arms like this. The anointing is the unction to function. It's a divine enablement to do what you couldn't do on, by yourself. And I started singing under the anointing and experiencing the power of the ocean, the anointing of God, and God would work through us to touch other people. And eventually, God called me to preach. And I found out that when there's regular preaching, it's one thing, but when there's anointed preaching, that's why I don't ever want to get up here without the anointing. Because anointed preaching, God uses it. My wife loves to sing. You love her to sing. My sweet, beautiful, talented, charming, intelligent, wonderful wife. She'll get up here and sing. But you know why you like to hear her sing? It's not because she has one of the best, greatest voices ever God ever created. It's because she's anointed. The anointing makes the difference. And she'll tell you when God filled her with the Holy Spirit, God anointed her. Whether it's singing, witnessing, whether it's working in the children's department, whether it's being a safety team member, whatever you do in this church or outside this church, listen to me, the anointing makes the difference. There's a guy who goes to church here. I don't know if he's here or not. He's one of our deacons. His name is Rob Anthony. Sometimes I tell Rob's story. I love to tell Rob's story because Rob's background is he had no church background. None. Didn't grow up in church. Ask him. No church background. He started going to church when he married Mary Nell. Started coming to this church, got involved. They've been a faithful family. Rob's a good businessman. God laid it in my heart to talk to Rob about being a deacon. We need some deacons. So I wanted to go talk to him. But I knew Rob's background. I knew Rob had not been baptized with the Holy Spirit, been coming here for years. So I, I, Pastor Scott and I, Scott Taylor used to be our executive pastor. I said, let's go take Rob to lunch. We took Rob to lunch up here at Boondock's. We talked for a little bit. I said, Rob, I said, I need some deacons, and I think you'd make a great deacon. You're a great businessman. You got a great head on your shoulder. You're a leader in a church. Uh, and we talked a little bit. I said, But Rob, there's this one thing that's really critical because it's in the Bible, it's a Bible mandate. You have to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. I said, Can you kind of fill me in? Where are you right now? He said, Well, if you'd asked me just a few months ago, he said, I would have had to tell you no. Well, pastors perk up when somebody says that. I said, Okay, what happened? He said, Well, he said a few months ago we were having one of those services. How many of you all know what one of those services are? Okay, one of those services where the Spirit of God was moving and people were shouting and rejoicing and we were down here in the altars like we normally do and Rob said I was, I was, he said I was praying and he said I prayed everything I needed to pray and I was done and he said when I got finished the Holy Ghost took over. I said did you speak in tongues? He said I spoke in tongues and spoke in heaven. He said God filled me with the Holy Ghost and clothed me with power. Well, I wanted to shout over there at Boondocks. Now, see, the point is God knew that he wanted to use him, but he wasn't qualified. He needed to be qualified, had the power, see. And God filled him with the Holy Ghost, and now he serves as a deacon in High Praises Church, a wonderful leader, along with all of our deacons. I'm going to tell you one more story. There was a, this is a true story. And I love the fact we've got a seasoned veteran Venerable assembly of God pastor in our midst today, all the way from Indiana. And I'm so glad his family's here today. Darlene Gould's mom and dad are here. Brother Darrell, you'll enjoy this. True story. A rabbi, Jewish rabbi, visited an assembly of God church in Springfield, Missouri. He was doing his doctoral dissertation and he wanted to go there to see what they were doing and do some, gain some information, have some interviews for whatever his dissertation was, and I don't know what that was. The pastor met him and talked with him after church and knew that there was a part of him that was interested, was open to the gospel. You have to remember, he's a Jewish rabbi. The pastor started telling him about Jesus, and he said, you know, I don't know if Jesus, that I believe Jesus is the Messiah. The pastor said, well, look, let me ask you something. Would you be willing to pray the sinner's prayer? He said, well, I'll tell you what. He said, I will pray the sinner's prayer. And he said, if faith rises up in me, I will believe that Jesus is the Messiah. So the pastor started with him with the sinner's prayer. Dear Jesus, I'm a sinner. And the rabbi said, dear Jesus, I'm a sinner. But I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe that Jesus Christ, and now he's praying the sinner's prayer. When he got through and when he finished Praying and asking Jesus to come into his heart, he sobbed for 30 minutes. The Jewish rabbi sobbed and cried. What was happening? He was realizing that Jesus was the Messiah of the Old Testament. That Jesus was the Savior of the world, not just of the world, but his Savior. And here's the good part: after he got finished sobbing and after he sort of dried up his eyes, the power of the Lord came on that Jewish rabbi, and they said the next thing you know, he started speaking in tongues, and God baptized the Jewish rabbi with the Holy Ghost. But it gets better than that. Then he started prophesying and operating in the gift of prophecy. Then he started quoting the New Testament word for word. When he finished, they grabbed a Bible and said, This is what you were saying. Have you ever read this before? And he said, I am a Jewish rabbi and I'm in rabbinical school. We are forbidden to read the New Testament. I've never read the New Testament in my life. I'm not allowed to. They said, Well, you were quoting it word for word. And he said, I don't know about that. But listen to me. You better get ready to shout. You might want to come up and stand up on your feet because what I'm about to preach might get you fired up right now. He said, I don't know about that. But here's what I know. He said, right now I feel like Jeremiah the prophet. He said, I feel like I got fire shut up in my bones. Come on, y'all. He said, I feel like I got fire shut up in my I wish somebody in high praises would say, Pastor, I want some fire. I want some fire in my praise. I want some fire in my worship. I want some fire in my prayer life. I want some fire in my Bible reading. I want some fire in my family and my children. Come on, somebody. Give Jesus praise in this house fire shut up in my bones hallelujah he's still filling people today hallelujah so here's what I want you to do children I want you to pray and I want you to say Jesus fill me with the Holy Spirit teenagers I want you to pray if you're saved and say Jesus fill me with the Holy Spirit Adults of all ages, if you're saved, I want you to pray and say, Jesus, fill me with the Holy Spirit because the promise is for you. Peter said the promise is for you and your children and to all who are afar off, even 21 centuries later. As many as the Lord our God shall call. I'm glad that verse is in the Bible because that just wipes out all the doubt, is not it? Come on, I want you to start praying with me all over this church. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for the privilege to preach. I'm thankful, God, for the baptism with the Holy Spirit and fire. I'm thankful for the gifts of the Spirit. I'm thankful, God, that it's still real. It's still today. We can be equipped with power. I thank you so much for the anointing. And, God, right now I pray for those who are not filled with the Holy Spirit. You'll put a hunger and a desire in them. Just like Lee and I had a hunger and desire in us, and we just kept praying, kept seeking, kept asking, kept knocking on the door. God, help people to get hungry and pray. God, if you want to, fill some people right now in this service this morning. In the name of Jesus, God, fill some people. Come on, y'all, all all over this house. Come on, pray, y'all. Come on, pray. God, fill with the Holy Spirit. Fill your people with the Holy Spirit. Clothe us with power, God, so that we can be a powerful witness and you can use us in our jobs and in home and in our communities and our neighborhood. God, in this city, in our city where we live, use us, I pray, oh God. Come on, pray all over this place. Thanks for listening. Be sure to join us Sunday mornings Our service times are 9 o'clock and 1045. For more information, please visit us at highpraises.org.